This is what I've been saying, the three L's, listen, learn, and lead. The advisors to do that are the advisors that are going to win. The value of bespoke advice has never been higher. You're listening to Coindesk's On Purpose with OnRamp CEO Tyrone Ross. An infrastructure, money movement, security. A licensed investment advisor and powerful storyteller. Tyrone has a passion for digital assets and their ability to disrupt our current way of life. How do I protect myself? How do I protect my firm? How do I protect my clients? This show is for advisors by advisors. Advise on purpose in the arising realm of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, Tyrone Ross. All right, welcome to this episode of the On Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Tyrone Ross, CEO and co-founder of OnRamp Invest. You can see this grin on my face right now. You will know why, because my guest was none other than Jeff Garzik. Stay tuned for this. There will be probably part two, part three. But in this episode, just stay tuned for how many Bitcoin he says he's given away and just his focus on philanthropy. Thank you all are going to enjoy this one. Thank you for tuning in. Be well. I would love to just dive right in here. You know, there's so many of us that are so enamored with your journey and those of us that are in love with Bitcoin, which I am and so many others, and you being pivotal to that, right? And, and so close to it. Would love for folks listening just to just to peek into your journey and how you got exposed to it. And I guess you can start right from there, from the CNN and just kind of walk us behind the scenes of your life and how Bitcoin came to be. Sure. You know, I, I hope I'm not taking the audience back too far, but Kind of the early 80s was my first touch as a pioneer. My experience at Georgia Tech kind of solidified this. I'm not the smartest in the room. Coming from like high school, where I was like the big guy on campus, I knew everything about computers. Literally, the teachers in high school came to me for questions about computers. You know, I would fix the school computers without exaggeration, like 10x more than anyone else. And this was one of my, you know, kind of humbling life experiences was coming to Georgia Tech. And I'm like, you know, I'm the smartest guy in the room. I'm so badass. I'm so awesome. And here, are, you know, hundreds of people way smarter than me. They know way more about computers than I do. Part of it was like, check your ego, good life lesson, humbling moment. But part of it was almost a sense of relief. Okay, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I could just do what God has put me on the earth to do mm-hmm. and not worry about my ego and my pride and, you know, just kind of center on principles and do the right thing. That was like one of my biggest aha moments in life. If you're willing to take your lumps, ask some dumb questions, but you're doing it in the spirit of love and learning and positivity, then, you know, maybe I look silly asking the dumb question. But I just learned and my, you know, my purpose is true. My, my yeah. heart is to advance freedom of humanity. So, you know, whatever dumb, uh, embarrassing question I asked is like in that spirit. That was really my introduction to kind of Georgia Tech, but also open source in the late 80s. This was like pre-web, but there was a lot of sharing of files. This was the bulletin board system or BBS culture. The sharing of data from, you know, like nerd technical, nerd fiction, kind of anarchist cookbook, edgy type stuff that really uniquely plugged me into a counterculture. 
And you kind of have to think differently, think counter-institutionally, if your mind is going to be open to new ideas and open to things like crypto or open source, where again, in the late 80s, open source was, you know, next to communism. That was like super radical at the time. That was like, you're giving your stuff away. Why are you so crazy? Why are you not following the path of Microsoft and selling your software? And so that was online radicalization, if you want to call it. (laughs) Uh, I found open source on the internet in the late 80s. Long-haired dudes like Richard Stallman were sharing source code compilers and building free operating systems. Right when I got to Georgia Tech, again, it was like this magic moment. That was when Linus Torvalds over in Helsinki was posting the first version of the Linux operating system. The thing that's literally now in every Android phone, in every data center around the world, powering like 90 plus percent of the web. He was posting this thing from his university dorm room I found it, and that was my next up ramp. Internet pre-web, you get that like counterculture, the early open source. Then this guy is sharing an operating system. It's the total antithesis of Microsoft. This is world changing, you know, as we found out later, literally world changing. Open source now powers the world. But I dove into that, and I had the blessing and fortune of being one of Linus's lieutenants for about uh, eight to 10 years as wow. Linux grew and grew and grew. So all Wall Street banks, you know, use Linux these days, stuff like that. And it was like the counterculture was burrowing in to uh, the Wall Street banks. And that, right, set up for blockchain. And mm-hmm. so in 2010, on uh, this website, newsfornerds.org, there was a uh, post in July of 2010 that was Bitcoin, a decentralized currency. In July of 2010, in my ego and pride said, oh, I know all about decentralization and cloud computing. There's no way this is just anything but five computers in a data center. That's cloud. That's decentralization. And Satoshi proved me absolutely, totally, and utterly wrong. And that was, again, another formative moment in my life where have this currency and this new technology who is it by? And the anonymity was a big deal. You had no way of checking Satoshi's CV, his resume. Who is he? It's intentionally unanswered. So that forces us to look at the code, not the person. And so it all started at like Georgia Tech and CNN and that humbling moment of, you know, hey, there are so many people smarter than me. I can just chill out, do my thing you know, learn from great individuals who uh, have been there before me. And that's literally how I got here today. Been thinking about so many things that are not crypto. And I I know there's a crypto podcast, so we kind (laughs) of need to talk about crypto. I just started a uh, micro trucking company to help give truckers a better working model and a better life. That's awesome. So many things that you know, crypto opens up and enables on the non-crypto front. That's kind of my arc to today. It's an amazing enabler. It's a crypto brings freedom. It, it does bring disruption. It brings a new mode of thinking, which some people might take advantage of, which is not good. And some people will take advantage of in a positive way and make their life better. So I, I think about a lot these days about how can we make the life of every human on earth 
materially and spiritually better. I love that. And it is a crypto podcast, but the name of the podcast is called On Purpose, right? And, <laughs> and, and you definitely and you definitely sound like you're on purpose. I do want to lean on that philanthropy part because you do a lot of these and everyone would ask you about crypto and Bitcoin and all that. Yeah, maybe we touch on that. And, I, and we do because this is mainly geared towards advisors like myself and, and trying to get wealth managers in Wall Street and folks to get familiar here. So obviously there's no better person to learn from than you, but I definitely want to lean in on the philanthropy part because you said a lot of things that resonate with me. As I mentioned, I'm a big proponent of financial education. Being the first in my family to finish high school, I got to college, was completely overwhelmed, didn't know anything that was going on. The reason I came to Bitcoin is because I also grew up in a home that was unbanked. I didn't know what a stock or bond or checking account was. And it's funny, it wasn't until I got to Georgia Tech where I actually went to the bank for the first time with my parents and opened up a checking account, literally. And all they had was $100 that I got as a gift to go to school to put that $100 in there. So financial education, financial access, providing better lives to people. You said so many things that resonate with me. But what you also realize is when you come from the bottom, you know, I've been a juvenile probation officer. I've given my life away and dedicated putting more back into the world than I take from it. But what you realize is the more you have, the more you can give. And you go to nonprofits and you speak to social services. And the one thing I always ask them is, what do you need most? And they're like, money. So lean in on that a little bit about how you've been able to obviously do well for yourself, but how that gives you the inner spirit to follow your passion and your purpose and give back. So like to hear about what you're doing now from an education standpoint, but also again, the micro trucking and all those things. I think that's really powerful. And that's another reason why crypto networks and protocols and all this stuff is so fascinating because it helps you help millions of other people. So talk about that if you would, please. Sure. At my core, I believe the data supports that the best way to raise people up out of poverty is economic growth. And as far as I'm aware, there are no other examples other than economic growth that just in mass level people up to better living conditions, better food, cleaner water, stuff like that. From that first derivative, charity is kind of a one-time burst. And if a lot of nonprofits kind of feast or famine, you know, sometimes they get a great donor. And sometimes they're all living on ramen uh, for uh, two years, that sort of yep. thing. And so to me, charity is like the unsustainable thing. Philanthropy is something that needs to be sustainable. Taking in specifics the, the trucking company, what the goal was is I believe the working conditions for truckers are absolutely horrible. I think how they're paid, not just like the level, not just like 15 or $16 an hour, but being paid by mile is fundamentally disconnected from a lot of stuff that truckers do, like wait around for nine hours for a receiver to open the doors and unload the truck. So there's like so many ways that these blue collar folks were getting shafted, did a deep dive into trucking and said, what you need is not only better pay, but fundamentally a different way to pay truckers, which is pay them for their time, not per mile, which really shafts them. So give them great pay, amazing benefits. And the other thing was OTR, an acronym stands for over the road. These are the long haul truckers that are gone from their family for weeks at a time, stuff like that. They burn out. Those are the people that we need the most. 
to get our goods to our homes for Christmas. You know, once it's offloaded off the container ships at the LA ports and stuff like that, it's the long haul truckers that are getting it to the stores in time for Christmas. The industry chews them up and spits them out. I wanted to do good to the world. Doing good to the world should be sustainable. Sustainable requires a sustainable model, a sustainable business model. And so if I want to help the supply chain problem, if I want to help reboot trucking to better working conditions, you got to lead by example. And so I'm uh, hiring a couple of truckers, bought a couple of trucks, and we're starting to uh, prove the model. Again, charity, I feel, is almost a dirty word. I gave you a donation, you use that donation, but can you do five-year planning based on that donation? Yep. Absolutely not. But something that's an, a recurring donation, recurring revenue, that's sustainable, and that's what helps people the most. Yep, I agree. And I was blessed enough to be able to give a, a TED Talk, and I talk about that is exposure, education, and empowerment. The empowerment part is the most important part because I can go to a school and talk to children about stocks or bonds or Bitcoin or whatever. And, but also, it's very important to understand if I make one-time donation and I never come back, they may not know what to do with that money or they may run through it. But if we endow or empower them, we're giving them the ongoing resources and encouragement and people coming back and other resources and other professionals right? In perpetuity. So now you build up this community and ecosystem of access and networking that is so important to be able to make sure that we don't just abandon people. It's just like, oh, you know, you take a picture with the check with the kids and then you leave. There has to be some sustainable growth. I call it seeds are cheap. The soil is expensive, right? When you get into the soil and you really dig into lower income communities or rural communities or whatever, like we have banking deserts still in the United States of America. That is a travesty, right? We have food deserts. It doesn't make any sense. So the infrastructure, if you will, or the networks, if you will, or open source or whatever, we got to get it to the areas where it could be sustainable. And, and I love that. That's one of the things I love about crypto is that it's so low barrier to entry is you just have to have a smartphone and be able to download an app. And that is your banking the unbanked. I think that in particular, the project I'm working on right now, Vesper, it aims at balancing the two of, we got to be super flat, super open, super permissionless. At the same time, just being very human focused, I am eyes wide open about some of the crypto sharp edges, you know, money management for people who are new to DeFi or new to crypto. Over at Vesper, we're trying to figure out just educate people on how this works, including the risks and dangers. And I think that will yep. maximize human freedom. Human freedom through education. The internet education is darn near free. So that's, yep. that's an amazing time that we live in. It makes me super positive. Yeah, absolutely. Man, we could definitely do this for hours. So there's so much <laughs> to cover here. And I definitely want to get into Vesper, what you all are doing there. I'm completely fascinated by it. But I want to start, though, with crypto networks and just starting with Bitcoin. And, and again, it, I think it bleeds into what DeFi is and what DeFi is about, especially what Vesper is doing, because that's the other thing for me is I'm so fascinated with DeFi, with microloans, all these fascinating things to bring financial access and inclusion closer to people that have never had it before. So I think that's incredibly powerful. 
So let's just start there with the origin of Bitcoin and what that means for, I call it the gravity of social justice, right? It's just pulling so much closer to people that have, you know, 1.8 billion people globally, this wonderful mathematical clock that continues to run and provide access. But start there through your lens to really educate people of how you see it and the possibility of how it made DeFi available, you know, and accessible and everything that's happening now. It truly starts with Bitcoin, as we all know. Yeah, again, always uh, reasoning from first principles. Uh, one of those principles is egalitarianism, just, you know, equal access. Wall Street is the total antithesis of that with accredited investors are the ones who get access to the best investments. And there are some kind of racial components to that that were recently highlighted, like the accredited investor stuff is also a, a great way to shut out minorities. And new crowds that are not already embedded in the legacy incumbent financial system, it's, it's you know, the, the incumbents uh, create barriers for themselves. And in that July 2010 slash.org post, once I convinced myself, yes, this is not BS, it's real technology, it just expands the mind 10x. You realize how freeing it is, number one, but how flattening. There are not keepers and bankers and metaphorically priests in an ivory tower that are controlling this thing. It is flat. It's for the people. It's for everyone. That was the fundamental early 90s internet ethos of peer-to-peer, -peer, which uh, was really formed one of the big roots of Bitcoin. Echoes of the early 1990s uh, file sharing and Napster, all of that goes into Bitcoin's roots as well. So Bitcoin was the first July of 2010, I had long hair and I uh, <laughs> got into Bitcoin and I was wondering uh, just about every day, am I going to get arrested simply for developing this software? There were all sorts of regulatory uncertainties, like are we violating the Stamp Act? Is Bitcoin a security? All this stuff was not known then that is known now. I know a lot of Bitcoin adherents are kind of anti-government. But the story of regulatory clarity has also been the story of Bitcoin's rise in that once we have regulatory clarity on Bitcoin in March of 2013, that you can literally look on a price chart and plot the rise after that. So as people get regulatory clarity, as people get comfort, they start to experiment with these things and it starts to embed itself in society in you know, new and interesting, sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes amazing and radical ways. It was really just at the outset, I was being a nerd. I was just being a software developer, contributing to various Bitcoin modules, deep in the innards, stuff like that. Doing some early Bitcoin mining in late 2010, early 2011. Famously, I've given away 15,000 Bitcoin in the early days. So wow. Uh, do that math, you know, if I had <laughs> held on to that 15K. But the flip side, right, is if I had not given away 15,000 Bitcoin, would Bitcoin be where it is today in some infinitesimally uh, different aspect? So my statement of what Bitcoin is whenever anybody asks is it's an evolving organism. Period. End of story. It's not what Bitcoin maximalists say it is. It's not what Bitcoin holders say it is. It's what you, for any yep. value of you, 
believe it is. It's a prism, and that prism is a social construct as much as a technical and economic one. And that evolves over time, which is just so darn fascinating. I, I love this space and all its uh, rough edges and the evolutions and, you know, spits and spats. And it's a reflection of humanity. And it's yeah. a reflection of humanity figuring out what this new social construct means for the world. I just wake up every day with a smile on my face because it's empowering more people every day. Yep. And it's creating new modes of thinking every day. To me, that matters more than like the tokens in the wallet and stuff like that. I agree. Man, oh man, this is so good. And I agree with you. It's so humbling for me to hear you say that because whenever people ask me what Bitcoin is, I'm like, well, you know, how long you got? (laughs) Is it this? Yeah, it's that too. Is it currency? Yeah, it's that. Is it digital gold? Yeah, if you want it to be, right? It's that too. It's so many different things. Is it freedom? Yep, it's that too. And I describe it the same way because you know this as humans, we have a tendency to want to put things in the box or make it familiar. Like, no, this tastes like mayonnaise. Well, yeah, it's ketchup, it's mustard, it's relish, it's everything. Like that's what makes Bitcoin so powerful. And we actually run on ramp like the blockchain. Like we actually, that's how powerful it is that you can run a company like that where we're in meetings and we'll stop every 10 minutes, right? all right, everyone agrees, like we get consensus here and you, know, you go on and all of these different things that we do. So it's so transferable to so many different things in life. But again, that economic freedom that ultimately creates prosperity for everyone that gets access to it. And those of us that are so passionate about, again, making other people's lives better. And I've said this and I truly mean it. And I've said it on stages, I've said it on television and I will continue to. You can't really say that you are a social justice warrior, if you will. You want better for people and you don't bring Bitcoin into the conversation. I have a hard time believing that you're serious because if you look at what this means, we all know what money means. Money is a technology. Money is freedom. It's stored energy, all these things. But also when folks have access to money and funds, poverty declines, right? All these things start to increase that were at a low level beforehand. So how do you not look at this network that continues to run to get stronger by the day? You can't kill it, but you can transfer value anywhere in the world at real time. Everyone has access. How do you not stop and go, "Eh, there's something here, right? Like there's something here. So I want to ask you this. We may go over a bit and we definitely have to do a part two, by the way. Might have to be a whole series. But I want to ask you, I think, two questions. One is, being in it 10 years now, what do you look at and still, I don't know if you have any frustration, but you think that people still continue to get wrong, which hinders their understanding. And I guess the one thing for the audience, the one thing coming from you that you would want them to know, to get familiar with this so they can start on their own learning curve or journey, if you will, as it pertains to Bitcoin and ultimately what it means for decentralized finance overall. Well, I mean, I keep coming back to one of your themes, which is education. Both Bitcoin and in the legacy financial world, all the meme stocks, your GameStop and your AMC and whatever the headline meme stock of the day is, even if you're kind of on the sidelines, you're educating yourself on how markets work, what happens in a market, how other people uh, are impacted by markets. It's almost an involuntary or by osmosis 
educational tool, which again, even if you don't have a wallet, which I think everyone should have a crypto wallet and be exposing themselves to new innovation. That's one of my core recommendations to every single audience. Try new things. You might not like it, but you will expand your mind. Just try new things. Live your life to try new things. You will be enriched, empowered, and you'll meet new and interesting people you uh, never thought that you would have met. Crypto is obviously a lot about money. and You can go into kind of the Wild West versus whoops, caution variants and that kind of discussion. But if I'm stepping back at a macro, macro view, looking at 10, 15, 20 billion people on the planet in the years hence, Bitcoin is something that is up-leveling the entire planet in terms of financial education, as well as egalitarianism. And that just so huge. I don't know if that addressed either of your two questions, no, but it does. kind of it riffing, does. riffing off of those two questions, but that's... Oh. That's kind of what it speaks to me, uh, at least. And Bitcoin's kind of the OG of that. I think Bitcoin should be your gateway drug into crypto. Bitcoin has the most robust financial infrastructure, the most on-ramps, that sort of thing. It's not a token that does all these other things like run a virtual machine and run DeFi. It's kind of a super pure, clear, simple first step. I think Bitcoin should be almost everyone's first step into crypto for a number of reasons. As I get older, I try to be a little bit more philosophical and a little bit less uh, triggered by, oh my God, you're getting into that and think in the grand scheme of things, there's innovations, there's like good signaling, bad signaling, and the world's kind of figuring out uh, what all this means. I don't want to use the S word. It's, it's not about yeah. uh, profanity, but I think that it tends to throw cold water on genuine innovators when you use the, the yeah. S coin word. But there are some non-innovative coins out there <laughs> as Agreed. well as that. And how to weave that into the conversation in a humble, positive, non-triggering way is what my mental conversation is these days. Because again, I, I believe in consumer safety. I believe in like, you know, this, this like conflicting uh, triangle of bring all the consumers into crypto. It's a massive win for freedom, egalitarianism. It raises people up, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a ton of rough edges. And yeah. there's a ton of ways that if you're not doing your research, if you're not being aware, being situationally aware, you can lose money. And so again, I'm circling right back to financial education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, listen, I am humbled. I am inspired. Um, Please, let's do this again so we can get into Vesper and all things DeFi. Like we need to set that up like right now. I know you're a busy man, but I would be. Let's do it. Yeah, be blessed to have you back. And we could spend an hour just going on on DeFi and everything else. But completely, completely overjoyed to have you here. If you're listening, again, you, you guys always know if you make it to this point in the conversation, nokidhungry.org, help me, help Coindesk cure child hunger in this country, by the way. They also are supported by the Giving Block. So if you do want to donate Bitcoin, don't does it have to, have to be 15,000 Bitcoin, but I'm sure they'll take that too. But Jeff, I don't know if there's anything you want to share with the audience on the way out before we let you go, but this has just been incredible. You can uh, you know follow me on Twitter, at Jay Garzik. 
I'm very political and loud and stuff like that. So it comes with plenty of caveats. My closing advice is just be humble, learn, listen, and uh, do. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on. And of course, shout out to my Coindesk family. Everyone be sure to sign up for the Crypto for Advisors newsletter. We will see you on the next one. Again, nocrinhungry.org. Appreciate you all. See you on the next one. Thanks a bunch. You've been listening to On Purpose with host Tyrone Ross and guest Jeff Garznick. The show is produced, announced, and edited by Michelle Mousseau with additional production support from Eleanor Paul. Our theme song is Walk With Swag. Have any questions or comments? Send us an email at podcasts at coindesk.com or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 